And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner, and I am joined as always by my very good buddy Paul Spataro. Yo. Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going. How you doing? Doing pretty good. And we are also joined this time around by our friend, David A. Pascarella. Ah, oh, thank you. I heard we were doing war books again. Is that, is that why I'm oh. here? I, I, well, I was, nice told, talking I was to you, told cowboy books. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> I hope you have F Troop. I was going to bring F Troop. I figured Scott was going to bring a tomahawk. And I'd like the oh, Long God. Ranger, please. Oh, I, okay. I could I could be down for that. <laughs> we talk, actually, that'll be the next one. <laughs> I'm actually really excited for this episode because each of the books that uh, that we have picked individually for this um, has a character that I really like. You know, the, a favorite of mine. So this this should be fun. This should be a lot of fun. I think this should be a good episode. And we are going to start with your book, Dave. Okay, what have I brought for us tonight? What have you brought? What have you brought? What have you brought? What have you got for me? Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, a good yeah. one. It's, it's an oldie but a goodie. <clears throat> Superman 292 from October of 1975. That's a long, long time ago. It's the dark times before but the I, empire. But I bought it off the newsstand. I don't think I bought Whoa. this one off the newsstand, to be honest. I think that was a back issue find for me. I came in about three years later in my buying. But it's a great book. I've had it. Yeah, I've had it, I mean, as long as I can remember, but I have no recollection of, like, how I acquired it or what. I, I really don't remember. Paul, I'm surprised to hear you say that, that you bought it off the stands, because I don't think of you as a Superman guy. I don't I really think Superman. of you as, as a DC guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm not a DC guy. I'm a Marvel guy. We all know that. But that doesn't make that does see it doesn't it doesn't have to be. Oh, I'm a Marvel guy. I hate DC. Uh, I you know I like no no I get that. I, I I focused more on Marvel and I had more of a connection to Marvel, uh, especially since as we've discussed a lot of times, you know, Marvel had more of a uh, an earlier maturation into the Bronze Age than DC did. Uh, so that I, I always found that more interesting from my perspective, but I pretty much, you know, regularly bought Batman, Superman, uh, you know, the, the uh, JSA and All Star Comics, you know, DC Comics Presents, Teen Titans. I, I you know, I put, picked up all of those regularly. I was, you know, and, and it just always brings me back to the uh, 
the the episode of Cheers where they hear people arguing in the background and they're getting all heated and everything. And then Rebecca has to come out and calm them down. And she says, just relax. We have room in this bar for monsters and Adam's family fans. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be blunt, you all know the Superman fan I am. And I have to say Superman's a dick in this book. (laughs) Not to bury the lead. He's, he's, let's be fair. He was a dick on a lot of bronze. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I, what was we covered one recently where he was really dicky, and I can't remember which one it was, but I don't think it was when we did 500. But there was something I remember us discussing, like, boy, what a, yeah, what a dick move. <laughs> well, gee, it, seems, just, it seems to me that that comes up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> For, for, for such a paragon of, of virtue, he really does uh, do some things that, that are questionable. <laughs> Perfect example, this book. <clears throat> so well, I guess, I, actually, Dave, just thinking about it, when we did Clash, we talked about what a dick he was. Yes. Yeah, that's right. See, some things hadn't changed in 30 years. Yep. But moving along. This little tale was written by Elliot S. Exclamation Point Magan, because there's no periods in comics. Penciled by Kurt Swan. Inker was Robert Oxner. And edited by the immortal Julius Schwartz. The title is <clears throat> The Luthor Nobody Knows. Superman is in the process of rebuilding the Metropolis International Airport in the wake of a battle between he and Lex Luthor. The chief of operations remarks on the hatred between Superman and Luthor, and the flashback begins. While having lunch with a co-worker, Clark finds out from Perry White that Luthor has once again escaped, so it must be Tuesday. Clark uses his heat vision to give his co-worker, Roy Raymond, indigestion. So Clark has an excuse to duck out and look for Luthor. Clark is a dick. Because the whole point behind this is, he's, he, it's not even that Clark is supposed to be sick. It's that he sees the other guy get sick and he's a hypochondriac. So why not leave the other guy out of it? Superman finds Luthor near the airport, where he's using a gravitational control device to spin planes out of control. When Superman engages with Luthor, Luthor uses the device on Superman, causing him to be unable to control his muscles and destroy large parts of the airport as a result. However, Superman is still able to control his muscles enough to vibrate his body, and cause a minor earthquake in which the debris knocks Luthor unconscious. After rebuilding the airport, the chief of operations muses about Luthor, always being evil, and Superman thinks even further back to their boyhood in Smallville. Clark and Alex Luthor were once friends. In In a disaster of biblical proportions, Superboy makes a tragic mistake. Luthor is conducting an 
experiment in his lab and has invented not only a cure for kryptonite, but also created living protoplasm. In the process, he accidentally starts a small fire. Superboy, en route to Lex's lab, sees the fire and attempting to save Lex, uses his super breath to blow out the fire. This causes the destruction of Luthor's protoplasm and the fumes result in all of Luthor's hair falling out permanently. Luthor vows revenge and his actions cause him to become a pariah. Superboy's response to this is, ah, come back later, he'll get over this. Ultimately, Luthor attempts to destroy Superman later on with stolen H-bombs. Thanks to his quick thinking, Superman is able to save the city from destruction and Luthor is captured. Thus, we are provided with the origin of Lex Luthor. I remember this story from the Super Friends that they adopted it. I also kind of remember it being longer, and I don't know if I'm misremembering another version of this story or it was from the Super Friends cartoon where they show Luthor saving Superboy from a kryptonite uh, meteorite and Superboy builds him the lab. Am I wrong on this? Is there another version? I think there is definitely another version. I seem to remember seeing it. There, uh, you know, I I was kind of disappointed rereading this because I I remembered this one too, although not real, real clearly. And like you, I thought it was longer as well. I was disappointed that there's no editor's notes anywhere in this because I'm positive that the flashback is a retelling of an issue of either Superboy or Adventure Comics giving the origin of why these two hate each other or at least you know why they're adversaries. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I thought this went back further than like this isn't the first time this is being revealed, I don't think. I think but you're I, right. I don't. Yeah, I I just I wish I knew, you know, where this was originally told or whatever, because I I think it's much older. I want to say it's a story from like the early 60s or something um, where where the whole thing was revealed. I'll I'll see if I can if I can dig that up, because I seem to recall that being reprinted maybe even a couple of times, maybe even like in one of those, uh, you know, the DC Digest, you know, like the best of DC or something, you know, something along Mm -hmm. those lines, the, the, the super boy version of the story. I, I also seem to remember the, the scene where it shows at one point that there's these big heat lamps over Smallville and people are complaining about, Oh, it's February and it's like summer. Yeah. I seem to remember there was more to that, that like everything Luther tried to do that was good kind of backfired and people were like, oh, look, he's got no hair. You know, like, <laughs> people are such jerks. <laughs> uh, I got a kick out of how Mr. Hales from the airport started off at the airport as an errand boy and worked his way up to chief of operations. Apparently, he's the Perry White of the airport. Airport Land of industry. opportunity. <laughs> That's unreal. I, I just I, I just couldn't get over and I remember reading this, you know, when it came out and it didn't really occur to me. But just reading through with him using his heat vision to heat up the guy's 
what is, it, is it his stomach or is it in his intestine? Either one, probably either causing him cancer or desiccation to the point where it's going to kill him one day, just so that he could walk away and act act out his thing instead of just saying, "Boy, I don't feel good. I'm leaving." <laughs> And, and they lead it in when he buys the sandwich. The guy who sells it to him's like, oh, man, you must have an iron stomach. So he's got an excuse. But no, I'm going to make this poor schmuck sick. Let me, let me see if I could put this uh, counter out of business. <laughs> and, and and that's not even the worst of the stuff he does in this book. I, I mean, to cut to the chase. After he causes Luthor's hair to fall out, and he's like, oh, yeah. He acts like, you know, Luthor just washed his car, and he got, you know, water on it. Oh, you know, yeah. he'll get over this. I'll see you when oh, you calm down. Sorry you lost your hair, eh, but you'll get over it. <laughs> it's a toupee. Get away. <laughs> he so, doesn't even offer that. So, Dave, what I, what I think you're thinking of, and this is what I was thinking of, too, and I don't remember the cover of this, so I must have read this as a reprint somewhere, but uh, Adventure Comics number 271, April 1960, uh, there was a story, How Luthor Met Superboy. And this goes into much more depth, where uh, Superboy's flying around one day, and a kryptonite meteor lands near him, because, you know, they, they just, you know, they're everywhere, and Luthor, as a as a young boy, saves his life, and they become fast friends, and Superboy builds him a whole lab and everything, and so this story was much longer, and much more involved, and it got into, um, you know, their rivalry and basically shows, you know, th their quick friendship and then the, the quick turn of him being an enemy. And it does go into the sequence where Luthor builds the big, uh, whatever they are, the mirrors or whatever, and is melting the town or, you know, it causes the super heat wave and all that. So that's all in that story. Um, that one ran, well, it ran here 15 pages uh, in that one. And it's interesting because there's a lot more to the story than, than this recap here. It, it just, it felt to me rereading this again, that this was a real missed opportunity. Um, you know, I like the story and I really like the art in this, but this was an opportunity for uh, Megan, who I think is a really excellent uh, writer, by the way, I always really liked, you know, his handling of Superman to take a pretty goofy story, a pretty goofy reasoning why Lex Luthor hates Superman so much and really spruce it up. Give it give it a little more substance, because at the end of the day, you know, this this rivalry that would actually lead to planets getting destroyed and, and millions of people dying because of Luthor's hatred for Superman all comes about the fact that he accidentally caused Luthor to lose his hair. That's pretty stupid when you really think about it. So this was a nice opportunity right here to, to put a little more meat on the bone there and, and give you maybe something more solid, a, a little less silly. And I, and I feel like he kind of flubbed it. I feel like, I mean, maybe that wasn't the mandate. Maybe that wasn't the idea behind this, but I, I still can't help but feel like, that that's a real shame that that didn't happen because otherwise, I kind of like this for the reason I've I've come to really like uh, Megan is that 
granted he's working, you know, Bronze Age DC on a very Silver Agey character and all that, that kind of held on to his Silver Ageiness all through the Bronze Age. But I, I've always felt like he was writing a little more mature than, you know, aiming a little bit higher, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I am disappointed in this only in the aspect of it. It didn't it didn't fix anything or it didn't tweak anything. It just basically re- retold a story that we already knew if, if you knew it. Yeah, um, uh, that's the the longer version is definitely what they adopted to the uh, Super Friends when they did it. Because I distinctly remember uh, Luther driving the tractor and saving him. Yeah, right. So, so right. I I don't want to uh, I don't want to pile on on the story because I do feel it's a little overly simplistic and definitely uh, not decompressed enough. Uh, but I want to praise the artwork in this. I really like the art in this. Not only do I really like the art, but the thing that we usually rag on, uh, I want to praise. I think the inking in this is exceptional by Bob Oxner. Uh, It's got some moody things in there. It's got some shadows. It's got some backgrounds. It looks like he didn't he didn't lack for effort in this one. Uh, And I I really like the artwork in this. I I especially just get a big kick out of the, the the creatures that that that. Luther is creating in his lab. Uh, the first one, you know, that he does to scare everybody with the big scary face and the claws. And then later on, the uh, protoplasm, the living protoplasm, it's just got like hands coming out of it and stuff. I just think it's all really cool. I, 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 I think the artwork saves this book. I agree with you. I love the yeah, artwork. I do too. Yeah. I've always been a big fan of, of Bob, Bob Oxner and, I gained kind of an, an even newer appreciation for him a couple of years ago when um, uh, Nick Cardi was going to be at a, a convention here. I think it was Megacon. This was a few years back. And so I was going through my Action Comics and Superman collection looking for iconic covers from my childhood that I knew that Cardi had done to take some of them with me to hopefully get signed. And as I was doing that and looking at all those covers again that I'd loved so much from my childhood, it really hit me that the other big guy from that era with the covers was uh, Bob Oxner. He did a lot of my absolute favorite covers, you know, in general, but specifically, you know, that that era, that sweet spot of 70s, you know, early 70s to mid 70s Superman Um, in particular, you know, the, the really famous one of Superman wolfing down all the. Uh, hamburgers outside the Nada McDonald's. Um, that's that's him, and I love that cover. His Superman was just cool. I mean, he had a Superman that was big and muscly and kind of beefy, but also more leaning more towards like the lean. So he was almost like a proto, um, like Garcia Lopez style Superman at a time that that Superman hadn't quite come into vogue yet. And I like that. So he was he was kind of ahead of his time in that aspect. And you see a little bit of that in this um, with his inking over Swan, because Swan tended to do, um, you know, not as not as beefy or, you know, dare I say, even a a little bit fat as, say, um, uh, Wayne Boring's Superman. But Swan, uh, particularly. 
Yeah, particularly when he wasn't, you know, when he didn't have a the right anchor or an anchor that really meshed with him well. Sometimes Swan Superman could look a little bit chunky. Whereas here, I, I think that uh, Oxner's inks are really, I mean, they're doing him justice here. He he looks big, he looks muscular, but he's not, you know, he's not fat ass or anything like that. And I, I really like uh, their styles together. I think they mesh really well. See, I think the character model changed over the years. And I, I don't think it was fat Superman. I don't think it was fat ass Superman. I think it was barrel chested Superman. I think barrel, that's yeah, what the that's yeah. that's what the character model was uh, in the 50s and 60s uh, for the most part, and then it started to yeah. to slim up in the 70s, and then it really slimmed up, you know, and became much more sleek, you know, when uh, when the movie came out and they had a you know an actual model to base it on a little bit, and you know I think they, yeah. I think I think we had a lot of Christopher Reeve in in the uh, character model after the movie came out, but I think it was already leaning in oh, that definitely. direction beforehand. Definitely. I, I didn't mean necessarily. I, I know I said fat. I, not necessarily fat, but I, I think it's kind of that thing that we've talked about with the Hulk before. Is that no? The Hulk had the fat you know, ass. We talked about it. Well, yeah, he he did. But sometimes that would happen with Superman a little bit too, if you know, if he wasn't like really defined. You know what I mean? Like, like instead of just the outline of the, you know, if you just do the general outline of the character here of Superman, like say on page six third panel where he's laying on the ground doing the vibrating thing if you just went with the basic outline of him he looks a little chunky but it's the muscle definition that oxner put into it that makes you realize that no this guy's solid you know look at look at the musculature look at the abs all that sort of thing and you realize he's not fat he's wide he's you know he's a he's a he's solid a guy. yeah he's a big guy yeah but i, 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 I don't like, like when that. they when they try to draw him like incredibly muscular because Superman's power set, you know, not that he's not in shape, he obviously is, but it doesn't come from him sitting there lifting weights and exercising. You know, he, it's, it's a, he's going to be much more powerful than people who are much more muscular than him. So like, I, I don't like when they try to almost justify his strength by drawing him. And it was something that, that happened really in, in the 90s and in the 2000s where, where you had people who were drawing him, like, really, like, bulky, uh, you know, where, where he almost right. looked like like a steroid guy. And and I never, never appreciated that. That was right. like the humanization. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're going for because I, I, I agree with you. If I interpret you right, is that, you know – he you know you could have superman like uh, like a reeves style superman standing next to somebody like arnold schwarzenegger who would be a lot stronger than him in real life but you know superman's actually stronger even though he doesn't have the the muscle definition that schwarzenegger would have i I like that too i think that's kind of cool that again his power is coming from you know the sun and all that sort of thing and the gravity difference and all those things rather than him actually being you know, some big roided up guy. I th- yeah, I think that's cool too. Yeah, Plus, I mean, he'd he'd have a hell of a lot harder time fitting in, I would think, in regular society and really keeping a lid on that secret identity with a you know just simply a change of clothes and a pair of glasses. If he was some great big huge roided out dude, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the the, su- the secret identity strains credulity enough. Without having him be somebody who's got such an easily identifiable, you know, physique. Well, clearly, right. 
clearly you didn't read the uh, issue where they yes, explained I did. that. <laughs> he hypnotizes everyone. Oh, he looks bald, balding and humped over. <laughs> that's that's where, where Christopher Reed did such a great job. That one that one uh, scene where he just kind of like when he's going to tell Lois and he just kind of straightens up and you see, wow, yeah. what a difference in, in just how he carries himself. That is like a very powerful scene as far as I'm con- concerned. I totally agree. Yeah, that would be that would be my exhibit A for you know anybody that said, well, the paraclasses wouldn't fool him. Well, look at that scene. He's he's two completely different people. Yeah, even yeah. as you know, he does the voice modulation without being, uh, you know, I'm Batman or any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I throw Batarang at it. Although I have to tell you, I always got a kick out of the. Uh, I can't even remember what the, the 1960s uh, cartoons uh, where the voice was like, this is a job for Superman. You know, like his voice would change in oh, mid sentence. Yeah. I always love that. That's I the same too. guy who did it on the radio. I think yeah. too, right? Yeah, yeah. I think what his name Collier? is. is that yes. Right? That's it. Yes. yes. Yeah. I always loved that. And that was, I mean, that was a little over the top, but I still loved it. I can I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch yesterday, but I can remember freaking Bud Collier. I had, I, my brain is they did the same thing. Up, it doesn't work right. They did the same thing in the '60s Spider-Man cartoon when he was Peter Parker. He talked like this, and then he turned into Spider-Man. And I was actually disappointed that Tobey Maguire didn't do a little bit of that. Yeah, I I think my kids pointed out one time when we were watching one of the Spider-Man movies. It's like, why doesn't anybody recognize Peter's voice? <laughs> Because he doesn't. He doesn't change it. Yeah. And then when they tried to address it in the movies, they overreacted and did the, I'm Batman. Uh, you're going to swear to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the, uh, I can't even think of what, the, what's the, the how it should have ended cartoons on the internet. Have you watched those? Yes. When they, when they do the superhero, cafe, the superhero cafe and everything ends with, I'm Batman. <laughs> like no matter what conversation they're having. How, how do you know this? Because I'm Batman. It's all better at it. <laughs> Back to this book. Uh, what I will say is, and I think this is probably universal for the three of us, because I think I'm saying exactly kind of what you guys felt, is that my memory of this, nostalgia-wise, is better than my reading of it today. I would agree with you. Yeah. But with with that having been said, I did enjoy it. You know what I mean? Uh, you read some of the older comics and you get used to reading the stuff today where you finish the book in two and a half minutes. Yeah, the, the thing for me is I can enjoy and, and even though this is 1975, in my mind, this is still a silver silver age book, uh, oh, yeah. even though it's dead smack in the middle of the Bronze Age. <laughs> you know, it's as I've said many times, I know Charlie Niemeyer would would probably, you know, very much disagree with me. But I I still maintain Superman never had a Bronze Age. I think Superman went right from the the Silver Age into John Byrne's revamp. You know, I, I think he just skipped right over the Bronze Age. So I think the Bronze Age came in and uh, Action Comics was a 544 where they introduced the new Brainiac and new Luthor. 
that was it. It lasted what two years, maybe. I I can see I can see an argument for that. Yeah, for me, the, the Silver Age books in general, you know, when they're really Silver Agey, I have to take them in smaller doses at this point in my life. Like if I try yeah. to if I try to binge read Silver Age books, I start to get tired of it. But if I if I can modulate my uh, my consumption of them and, and mix them in with, you know, more of a bronze 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 closer to modern you know, all of that stuff, uh, I do find that I, you know, I can very much enjoy them in the tone that they were meant to be if I don't overdose on them. You're right, because I, I tried to binge read Captain Storm, and then you find out every <laughs> single issue has a recap of his origin that's like three pages. <laughs> well, I got you back on that, Paul, because for anybody that wonders why I haven't done an episode of my, you know, the Superman show that I was doing there for a while, the biggest reason is, is that I was trying to, in an effort to be authoritative, I was trying to read every single Superman related title from the point where the Phantom Zone was created uh, in Adventure Comics forward from that point, looking for Phantom Zone references. And I figured, well, it's only from 19, whatever it was, 61, I think, until, um, you know, the crisis. That was the era I was going to look at. So it's only, you know, 20 some years, you know, and I, and I thought it'd be a lot of fun and it has been fun. But as you say, you can only read a handful of those at a time before your brain is just like enough, enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, I couldn't binge it the way I've been binging other things. Uh, you know, even if you hit a rough spot in, in most read through projects, you know, you can kind of force yourself through it and then it picks back up. But you know, that, that silver age stuff, you know, it's, you know, I'm not saying that there's there's you know not really good stuff in there. There is. There's a lot of fun and there's really good stuff, but you're you're never gonna get like that really good meaty, um, you know, adult story. They're all dumbed down, you know, to a certain degree. And while they're fun, um, you know, for for a 50 plus year old guy, it's like, okay, Jesus, I, you know, I, I can't read too much of this. And, and you know, I, I, I start to feel silly, you know, it's like, okay, I need to be reading something on my, on my intelligence level, you know? Uh, uh, are you saying these things were aimed at ch children? Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty juvenile. <laughs> and then of course there are some that are just plain bad. I have yet to read, you know, uh, like a like a you know Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane that I thought, ooh, that was really good. It, they're always like, oh Jesus, that was painful. You know, why do I why am I doing this to myself? You know, so yeah, it's it's a rough read. So you know, anybody that wonders, you know, where where's the next episode? Well, you know, that's that's been a big old bullet to try to take for the for you guys. So bear well, with you know, me. you know who who actually <laughs> succeeded in that is John Wilson. He, he yeah. started. He started with you know the uh, you know Action Comics number one, and I think he's into like the two thousands now. You know, reading every appearance of Superman. That is wow. awesome. I, I admire him because I I tried that, and I'd still like to do that at some point. I really would, but 
Yeah, I could only take so much at a time. And I, I actually did it the, you know, the same way, went all the way back to, you know, action one red forward. And um, I don't really know why I stopped that project other than it was, it wasn't something I was doing for podcasting and the stuff I was doing for podcasting just kind of took precedent. So I let it fall to the back burner, but that I was actually enjoying a lot and probably could have kept right on plugging away at least, you know, a while longer. Cause I didn't hit the same wall that I hit, you know, with that, you know, the very silver agey stuff that I was reading, but you know, a lot of the golden age stuff too, what it wasn't at least starting out, it wasn't just aimed at kids. It wasn't dumbed down. I mean, it was, um, you know, it was, it was aimed at a general audience. So that's why there was a lot more, you know, gangster stories and crime stories. And, you know, the violence was, was a lot more than, you know, at, before they tamed it down, you know, post uh, Wortham and all that. So, you know, you, I mean, yeah, you get your dopey stories and your goofy stories and all that, but th- as a whole, I mean, they were, a, a you know, a, a bit more, intelligent and mature and trying to actually tell like a good like uh you know like crime story or detective story or wh- whatever you know they weren't just you know one silly thing after another and that unfortunately a lot of the stuff i was reading with with superman in the 60s was just it was just one goofy ass story i mean you can only read so many stories about you know, crypto gaining the ability to talk or <laughs> sentient kryptonite or, you know, all the, you know, Giant Mr. Monkey. Mixius Pit coming. Yeah. A space monkey or yeah. Just, Oh my God. You know, it just, it, it compounds after a while and you're just like, I can't, I just can't anymore. <laughs> if only they had a flying horse that would have made everything better. Oh, 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 you're not helping Dave. You're not helping. <laughs> <laughs> But that's not to say, because I know now we're probably going to get letters going, you know, but it's not to say the stuff's not fun. I mean, it is fun and I collect that stuff. So, I mean, I'm not slagging it off. I'm just saying, you know, you got to you got to eat that elephant in small bites, man, because it's it's a lot to take at once. No, I love it. I don't want anyone to misunderstand that my comic collection for Superman goes back to 1961. So, uh, I love this stuff. I love it too, but I can I can't sit and binge it. That's all I'm saying. I'm, yeah. I I love it in right. if if I measure out my dosages and I take it you know a little bit and mix in other stuff, then I absolutely love it. And then sometimes I make the mistake because I love it then overdosing on it, and then I then I have to pull back because I think oh you know like you said you can only take so many uh, talking animals and you know strange scientific advancements <laughs> before you start saying, all right, I, I, I got I have something else I have to do. But crypto's <laughs> still cool. I like crypto. I have always loved crypto as a, uh, at least in concept. Yep. I have a fondness for him as well. So just, just looking at this, uh, page two, bottom right panel, to me, that is the quintessential, uh, which was Kurt Swan Superman right there. That's as good as yeah. he, as as he can do with him, and and I love that picture. I think it's great. Yep. Going to agree. Yep. That's the face. That's the Superman face that Jack Kirby could not do. <laughs> could not or would not. <laughs> 
it, it just didn't fit his style. <clears throat> right. I used to think that this outfit for Luthor was so cool when I was a kid, and I look at it now, and it's just like, who dressed you, dude? <laughs> Maybe uh, well, she's colorblind. Have you ever thought of that? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm like, who, no, who there was you? there was a you know? thing. There was a thing in the '60s and '70s, clearly, that there was a thought that purple and green were uh, were, were good super villain colors so you'd have like the green goblin and and doc ock in his green outfit and you know there would, if i i'm having a tough time coming up with a lot of examples off the top of my head but, but i no, guarantee no. there's a lot of them yeah, that that would those were like villain yeah. colors the beetle yeah there's another one it probably had something to do with the printing process that you know it showed up better than yeah and, and they were darker and you know just less Less easy on the eyes, I guess. So it made them look more villainous by nature. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I just, to me, you know, we talk about nostalgia a little bit. I have a nostalgia for this look and for the uh, super suit for Lex Luthor. Yes, me too. Yeah, but I the like super the super suit, suit was yeah. the superpowers figure. Yeah. Which, you know, they're bringing back the line. I just saw that yesterday. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I got to go out and find me one of those Supermans. He looks really cool. Did you see the Supermobile? No, no. All, no, all I've seen I love so those far was issues. somebody posted a picture online of uh, Superman and, and Darkseid. Those are the only yes. ones I've seen. Is Superman oh, there's, there's a Supermobile. Dark... I have... Yes, like the one we remember with the hands on it. Yeah. Unlike the crap we got in the 80s that looked nothing like the Supermobile. I hope they just, do. Just uh, coming up Bat- with something new for me to buy. Thank you. I hope they do that Batmobile because I always wanted the Superpowers Batmobile and never had one. So I hope they do a recreation of that. I would buy that in a minute. Me too, because to get one on eBay of the original is crazy priced. I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah, I just saw that yesterday on, uh, I think it was on Facebook. Somebody posted some pictures. Well, do we want to rate this one? Sure, sure why not? <laughs> um, I gave the story, uh, you know, it's it's sentimental, I guess. I, it's a it's an average story, but it's below average to be to be honest. But for me. It's slightly above average, so I gave the story a C plus. The, the art I love, the art is an A plus. I, I'm not even going to get into it anymore. And uh, <laughs> the cover, uh, it's nostalgia for me. I mean, I think it's great. I love the cover. I gave the cover an A. So I gave it an overall rating of a B plus. Cool. Uh, I'll go next. I uh, I love this cover as well. I think this is one of the more iconic er- uh, iconic covers, especially from this era, you know, the 70s era and everything. So, yeah, I like this. And I always like the one that was kind of telling a, a little story in there, kind of a before and after type of thing. Like, you know, you did this, so I'm doing that type of thing. They seem to do a lot of these kind of covers. Uh, but I really like this one. And this one is uh, I'm pretty sure this cover is all Oxner. And I really like his art and I really like, you know, his cover design and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think this one's really sharp. 
Um, I think I'll go. I think I would go an uh, an A. I think I'll go an A on this one because um, there are a couple of other ones that he did that I, I like a bit better. Um, but yeah, I really like this one. I'm not real crazy about the yellow either, but that that's a minor nitpick on that. Um, interior art is kind of a tough one because I really like the interior art. Um, I'm not crazy about the coloring in this. I wish the colors had been identified, but they're not. But I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to decide if my issues with the interior art are just because of the deficiencies of the printing process of the time. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that's probably what it is, is that um, it's not as detailed as I would like. It's not as like filled. There's a lot of just empty backgrounds, just one, one slab of color backgrounds type of thing. And that always bugs me a little bit because it always kind of reeks of the Vinnie Coletta approach where it's just like <laughs> get it done you know don't put anything in the background you know keep it keep it simple but when they do take the time and fill it all in like on page 10 um I love that I mean there's so much detail in in that one page so I'm not getting it why it's so skimpy and other um you know for most of the rest of the book there's there's just a whole lot of it that's uh or this story anyway where there's just really nothing in the background and, and it's just all solid colors. And the colors that were chosen are not very complimentary. A lot of yellow. Um, and I don't know, it just kind of, it just kind of looks funny. It's not as um, aesthetically pleasing as I would like in, in the color choices and everything. It's, it's almost done kind of like coloring book style where it's just like one <laughs> solid color here, one solid color there. There's no blending. There's no, you know, there's nothing and there's and they didn't get fancy with anything either. There's no like zip a tone. There's no shading. There's none of that stuff. So it's pretty straightforward. And that's kind of a shame because you you got two guys, you know, they're doing a really good job with the art that, you know, it, it could really use some of that sort of thing. So. Um, so, again, more more of just the color choices, the printing process overall, um, kind of taking some off of the the otherwise really awesome art here. But otherwise, um I think I'd go a B minus on the interior art because I really do dig it a lot. Um, but I, I've definitely seen, again, some stuff from both of these guys that I, I like a bit better than this. The story is the really tough one because I really like Megan a lot. I've, I've really, uh, you know, I've always liked this stuff, even when I didn't know it was him that was writing. You know, when I've gone back as an adult and reread a lot of these stories from when I was a kid, I realized that he's actually one of the, you know, the top Superman writers for me. Plus, you know, I love the two novels that he, uh, that he did for Superman. Um, and I, I like what he was going for with doing a, a, you know, a slightly more mature Superman and that sort of thing. There's hints of that in this story. Um, but again, I, I feel like the, the big thing that kind of knocks it down a bit for me is I, I think this was an, an excellent chance to, to tweak a really goofy origin and do something else with it. I don't know, add some extra motivation, clarify some motivation, do something. And he really didn't. He, he just kind of retold the same story um, in a, in a abbreviated version. And that's kind of a shame because it, it could have used this. This would have been a, a wonderful opportunity to, to update a very silly origin. Um, so for that reason, I, I can't grade it horribly high. I think actually your grade of C plus was, was perfect because it is better than average. It's really good. Um, 
if he had done the job with with you know tweaking the origin and all that, I'd grade it so much higher. So that's really the thing that holds it back. But overall, grade for the for the whole thing, you know, the whole story. Um, yeah, I think I'd go a B um, for the whole thing because I I do think this is one of the the better issues of this era, and I think it's a nice representation of uh, you know early or mid '70s Superman. It, it's a it's a classic in its own right in, in that sort of respect. All right. Um, <laughs> See, I think the cover is a style of cover that I'm not really crazy about. The one panel leading to the other panel, like almost telling the the story on the cover. On the other hand, I think it really works here. And I think it does exactly what you hope to get from a cover like this. You look at it and you think, you know what? I want to read this. I want to see how this, you know, history went on between these two and, and how they developed into the arch enemies that they are. So I do think that it serves its purpose. And I think and know that if I were, what would I be, 12 years old and I was on the newsstand, I would want to buy it. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say a B plus on the cover. I really like it, although I shouldn't. Uh, the interior art, I don't disagree with what you're saying about the color palette here, but I am writing that off as being kind of what they had to work with at the time. I think the storytelling choices by swan i think the penciling by swan i think the angles uh i think it all really works in here uh and i and i think oxner really did a good job of of inking it i think you really see in the first couple of pages that i think he did a, a little extra as far as the shadows and and the you know trying to create a mood a little bit uh i do think that you know, I, I do see what you're saying, that there's some panels that don't have backgrounds in them, but I think it always seems to make sense when there's a panel that doesn't have a background. I think it's usually a situation where you wouldn't really be seeing what was going on in the background, or if you did, you might be uh, distracted by it anyway, so it doesn't bother me. I think, you know, like you say, they could have done a better job with, uh, you know, with, with just kind of making the, the coloring just a little bit more subtle. That would have been nice, but I can yeah. work with what I have. Uh, I'm not going to take points off of the coloring just because I, I really feel that Swan and Oxner did such a nice job with this. Uh, so I'm going to give it. I'm, I'm torn between a B plus and an A minus. It's not the absolute best I've seen from him, as you say, Scott, but it's so good. I'm going to say an A minus. I, th I think it's it's worthy of an A minus. So now then you come down to, as we all do, the story. Um, it's, it's a story I always liked as a kid. And yet I look at it now and I think it's overly simplistic. I think, you know, I'm, I'm so used to the decompressed stories now that I kind of wish this one had the balance between the very compressed story we get here and the decompressed stories we get nowadays. Like I would like to see maybe, uh, you know, you you could do this one if because this book has a, a one two three, like a four page story after it. If you added four more pages of story to this instead of making it a split book, I think 
you could have thrown a little bit more in to show how the antagonism grew over the years and just not have it be this one incident. And I think right. then it, it would have been a, a better story for it. Uh, but I still have, you know, there's a, there's some part of it that's that's nostalgia that's driving me. Uh, and there's some part that I'm just trying to be fair. Uh, so I'm going to say a B minus on the story. I might be being overly generous, but I, I'm, that's I'm, that's where I'm going with it. And overall, I'm going to give the book a B plus. Very cool. Cool. Sounds good. Now, with, right. the th- with the thought process that I don't know, you know, we, we took a little long and I think both of our books might be long. So with the thought process that we may only get one in, uh, you want to do yours or you want to do mine? I don't care. I'm really itching to do mine. I don't know. Are you itching to do yours? I could save mine for another day. All right. Well, so so we'll go from right with you. Superman go with to Megalith. <laughs> yeah. Well, you threw me a curveball because you, you had sent me the message about, uh, well, if, if Dave's bringing Superman, why don't we do a little Superman thing? So I brought a book that's kind of sort of like Superman. So I thought you would as well. And then you picked something that was completely not even like Superman. So I'm like, OK, I don't know where, where the thought process is here. But well, I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I thought about doing a theme episode. And when you said you were going to go with something, but then you picked you picked a character who's like Superman, but you didn't go with the Superman theme. So I said, OK, the theme is out the window. Uh, and as you were just saying, I, I don't know if we're getting two books or three books in today. So if, if we only get two in, then we got a Superman themed episode anyway. There you go. Well, 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 you did bring a man of steel. Of sorts. But um. <laughs> All right. So for my book, we are going back to April 1985, a sweet spot time in comics, in my opinion. We are looking at Revengers, not Avengers, Revengers. Revengers featuring Megalith is the actual title of this book. Number one from Continuity Comics. And I know a lot of you out there are probably going, huh? Uh, yeah, this was a, an imprint for a while anyway. Cover price on this, uh, two bucks. Now, I looked this up because I was thinking, ooh, two bucks. That was kind of pricey, wasn't it? It was. This was at a time when your average Marvel title... Uh, on the stands at the exact same time this one was, was 65 cents, and your average DC title was 75 cents. So this was significantly more expensive than, you know, the big two titles that were out at the time. Uh, the cover on this features a stunning, in my opinion, pinup style pose of Megalith by Neil Adams, and it's precisely why I own this issue. Uh, it totally does what it was meant to do, in my opinion, uh, which is to get you to stop and go, wow, and hopefully pick it up and buy it, which I totally did. And, uh, you know, it's not very often for me that I, I can remember, like, exactly where I was or what the circumstances were or whatever. And that's the case here as well, although I seem to have a nagging memory that I bought this in an airport. And I don't know why that's the memory, because... I wouldn't take my first flight for over a year and a half later from when this book came out. So I don't know why I would have been in an airport, but that's the memory I have was buying it off a spinner rack in an airport. So I don't know. But anyway, um, I did buy this one off the rack. Um, Megalith on this cover, he's, uh, well, Megalith in general, just to give you kind of a a description if you don't know the character. uh, He's a muscly, 
Superman-type strongman in a skin-tight, short-sleeved blue tunic with white tights and black boots. He very strongly resembled Superman. I believe that that is very purposeful. Um, Neil Adams' version of Superman. Um, and essentially, he's kind of, you know, visually in the, in the face and the body style and everything, he's essentially, he's uh, Superman if Superman had curlier auburn hair. So that there's kind of the visual for you. Uh, the story is untitled. Credits on this book. Now, here's the funny thing. This is a this is a great lesson in don't get too hung up on constantly. And I'm talking to my fellow podcasters here. Don't get too hung up on constantly um, resourcing your comics from uh, scanned sources or whatever, because uh, it turns out that all the scans that I've seen out there on the Internet of this particular issue um, it makes it gives you the impression that there's no credits in the issue. They're actually on the inside front cover, which nobody bothered to scan. So I actually dug out my paper copy of this to see, well, are there any credits in this book? And sure enough, they're on the inside front cover. So the credits are uh, writing, layouts, and inking are all Neil Adams. Additional penciling work by staff assistant I'm probably going to butcher this name. Iota Subotici, I guess. S-U-B-O-T-I-C-I. I I have no idea how you pronounce that last name. I tried to look him up. I really couldn't find much on this guy. But in fairness, I couldn't find much on continuity comics either. So, Uh, And then color is by Corey Adams. I don't know what relation this person is to Neil. Maybe one of his kids or something. Uh, The story begins with a close-up view of a cinder block brick wall as we hear something thud, thud, thudding against it from within. The thuds begin uh, to take their toll, and eventually something, or rather someone, bursts through and the narration reads, No human being made of flesh and blood could possibly pound a cinder, uh, cinder block wall reinforced with concrete with its fists and smash through it in moments. Until this day. It would have been considered impossible. But for this 18-year-old youth whose body is trained to the ultimate capacity, to its highest form, this wall crumbles. For this, for all the world to know, is Megalith, the ultimate man. Megalith emerges and savors the fresh air of freedom and answers the phone. Hello? (laughs) Megalith emerges and savors the fresh air of freedom. But for just a moment before the Nazi-esque German troops arrive and order him to stand down, Megalith uses his mighty leg muscles to leap over them, but finds himself pinned between them and an advancing half-track truck. Cornered, he rips up a telegraph pole and uses it as a lever to flip the half-track. The Germans are stunned and call up an armed helicopter to try to persuade him to stand down. But the muscle-bound teen instead charges forward leaps onto a sturdy rock rock outcropping and uses it to spring himself high into the air where he is able to seize the helicopter pilot by the throat and demand he be taken away from this place. Eventually, the teen winds up at an army, uh, uh, American army base where he tells his story and begs a general for help in rescuing his parents. An hour later, thanks to the general, he's winging his way across the Atlantic over a mili- uh, in a military plane. We learn that his real name is Joe Majurak. I don't know why they picked such a weird uh, name that I don't know how to pronounce for a superhero's last name, but it's M-A-J-U-R-A-C. Majurak? 
seems Joe is a farm boy whose father dreamed of uh, his being able to attend college one day. Joe, always a strong boy, idolized famous bodybuilders and began to work out. But he also extra exercised his mind, too, in hopes of perhaps earning an academic scholarship. Having heard the story of Milo of Crotona, who lifted the same calf each day after its birth to gain strength, Joe turned the myth into reality by doing the same thing until the animal matured into a full-grown bull of 1,200 pounds. But uh, tough times and threatened foreclosures of the family farm led to Joe's parents accepting a seemingly straightforward offer from quote-unquote Carl of the quote-unquote Olympic Committee to take over Joe's training and education and even loan the family money so that they could keep their homestead. And so Joe was off to training camp in Germany, where he worked out hard and constantly, both physically and mentally. But slowly, Joe began to realize that something fishy was going on, and so he went to see Carl and requested to be allowed to go home. Carl refused, and to demonstrate his power and hold over the boy, even shot Joe's dog dead right in front of him. More determined than ever and fueled by white-hot rage, Joe doubled down on his workouts increasing his strength and abilities until finally achieving the link up a community, a, a connection rather between his mind and his body in which he became physically quote unquote perfect and even gained mental abilities that spilled over into the psychic. One day Joe was called into Carl's office and when it became clear that he was being shown off with the intent of being sold, he'd had enough. He grabbed Carl's guard and flung him aside, gravely injuring Carl in the process. Then, just as the book began, he, he was uh, pounding his way, bare-knuckled, through that cinder block wall we saw at the beginning of the book. Megalith snaps out of his reverie on the general's plane, and as they arrive in the U.S., and soon, in full costume, like right on the cover, he is aboard a helicopter and approaching the family farm. When he spots a couple of shady-looking cars parked out front, he leaps from the chopper and charges inside, demanding to know where his parents are. Carl's assistant, pissed that Megalith hospitalized him, opens fire and catches the youth in the abdomen with a spray of machine gun fire, just as she herself is shot by what I guess are a SWAT team? It doesn't really make it clear. Uh, Megalith doubles over and falls to his knees. But a moment later... He flexes his mighty abs and expels the slugs. An ambulance is called, and he is placed on a gurney, but he's still intent on finding his folks. He refuses to believe what he's been told and the potentially damning evidence of their demise. They're not dead. They're alive, and he's going to find them, and if anybody tries to stop him, he'll kill them, he says, until a sharp slap in the face brings him back to reality. Megalith pauses, reflects, and then screams in anguish. And that's pretty much where this opener ends. And it's really weird because there's nothing saying the end to be continued, anything like that. It really just kind of ends. And if you don't realize that and just keep reading... Um, it goes on to into a completely different story with a completely different character. But as that 
chapter opens, there's really nothing to differentiate them. So it can be a very confusing read until you realize, oh, wait a minute, that was the end of one story and the beginning of another one. So, uh, you know, points off in, in that aspect, I think, of just the, the way it's kind of formatted. Um, but that said, the uh, the scans of this book, um, you know, the digital of this book doesn't do it justice because as I hold it in my hand and, and look at it for the first time in, in quite a long time, you know, the actual physical copy. Man, I mean, at least for this one issue, um, continuity really was ahead of the game on this. The printing process on this is gorgeous. The colors pop. Um, the inks are so nicely rendered. The, the art is fantastic. And I don't know what this paper is, but man, this this is what Marvel and DC should have been going for when they started trying to refine their their printing and just make comics look better and everything. Because this is this is great. I mean, this comic is what 85 is pushing 50 years ago, right? And this this looks fantastic. I mean, it looks really good. 40 years ago. 40 years. I'm sorry. 40. Don't years. make me older do- than I am. I'm tired. I can't do math tonight. But yeah, I mean, this it, it looks it looks fantastic. And you don't get that damn annoying <laughs> glare that you get off of modern comics where you can't even read it when you hold it in your hand because it's too shiny. This is really nice. I, I'd love to know what this paper stock is because it hasn't aged a bit. I mean, it's crisp. It's white. I mean, it looks like I just bought it off the stands. And I've had this book, you know, since the day it came out. So it's really held up well looks really fantastic i guess that's one of the justifications for the cover price yeah yeah it has paid, paid a lot more to print it right absolutely um i don't have a lot of notes on this one i wish i knew more about this i tried to there's nothing in the book itself you know because a lot of books when they first start out would have like a like an origin story type of thing like here's why we're writing this story or here's why we're creating this character whatever because they didn't have any letters to print yet type of thing. And there's none of that with this, unfortunately. So I don't know the origins of this. I don't know, you know, what the intent, anything like that. Um, I tried to look some stuff up on the Internet. I, you know, now granted, I didn't have a whole lot of time to do it, but I, I did try to do some digging into this. I really couldn't find much of anything. The wikis that are out there for this character and for continuity in general are very just kind of, uh, you know, cursory about the whole thing. I mean, Continuity didn't last a whole long time, and it wasn't really ever a, a big thing. Um, so I can understand why there's not a lot of interest out there. There's not a lot of information, but you know, it, it would be nice to be, be able to learn a little bit more about the whole backstory. I don't know if this is something that uh, Back Issue Magazine has ever covered or not. I'd, I'd have to do some digging around to see because I'm way behind on my reading of that. Um, but all I can tell you is that you know. I really loved it then, and I still dig it now. Uh, this is the first time I've actually reread it in a very long time, and it doesn't hold up story-wise quite as well as I remembered it to, but I still think it's it's cool, and I still think there are you know there's the germ of a really cool idea here. It, it's a little clunky in its execution, and I do think it moves a little bit too fast. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. Uh, I, I think it could have slowed down a little bit and and filled things in a little bit better to, to give you a better sense of, okay, who is this guy? What's going on? 
uh, you know, to, to get you a little better invested than this this first chapter, you know, this first story does. But I mean, it did the job way back when in, in '85. I mean, uh, you know, I was intrigued by this. Unfortunately, just by the nature of the beast, with this being, you know, a small independent thing, um, I only ever got very very scattered issues of of this and of his he actually gets his own solo title uh, at one point and it wasn't enough to be able to really follow it. So I don't know where the character went and, and what really happened with him or everything beyond this, but I've always been intrigued about that. And you can find continuity comics, a dime a dozen in, uh, you know, back issue bins, you know, cheap bins all across the country. And I've been slowly snapping them up with the intention of, um hopefully one day having a whole run of everything that was continuity which doesn't seem like it would be that hard a thing to do and one day sitting down and just reading the whole line to see you know what what's the quality like you know what's what's you know what was the whole deal with it essentially um but you know just this one issue on its own i i I rather dig it i still think it's really cool i still think the the character is really cool i kind of by the origin story, you know, the origin portion flashback of this issue, that was always my biggest takeaway. I liked the scenes uh, that Adams did of him, um, you know, and, and he always did it kind of like, uh, I don't know if collage style is quite the right word, but you know what I mean? It was a, a, you know, a, a combination of different images, and it always reminded me of when they would show Batman's origin and it would be a combination of images. You know, sometimes he was looking through a microscope and then he was also working out and he was on the parallel bars and that sort of thing. And with this being an ordinary guy who's literally pumping iron and working out and studying and everything and making himself into, you know, this character he becomes I always kind of approach this story as more of a what if story. What if Superman, what if Clark Kent had to work out to become Superman? So essentially taking like Batman's origin of Bruce Wayne training himself to be Batman. What if Clark Kent had to train himself to be Superman? And that's kind of how I approach Megalith. And that's I think that's one of the reasons I've always had a real soft spot for this character. But I'm very curious what you guys thought of this and if you'd ever even uh, read this before. I have of you, you You can go first, Dave. That's okay. I, I, I never knew this existed until you sent it over. And uh, to be honest, you know, reading through it and looking at the artwork, I thought it was much more modern than it was. I actually thought maybe it was post-2000 because the printing process, you know, looks so much more modern, particularly the other two issues we just read. I I enjoyed it. You know, I I see what you meant, how it, you know, it kind of just stops at the end. And I kept going (laughs) like, oh, well, I guess he's going to show up. And then, you know. A couple of panels in, you realize it's a completely different story. But it ended right. in, it ended in such a way that I'm curious what happens next. And I can see right. all the, the dangling 
plot lines. Are his parents dead? Is this going to be, you know, the quest to get the people who did this to him, the quest to find his parents? I, I thought it was well done. I was intrigued. Cool. Yeah, I, I was also unaware of this book. You, you have introduced me to Megalith. And anybody who's listened to enough of this knows what I think of Neil Adams' uh, artwork, at least. Neil Adams, the writer, is a different thing. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm going to get to that in a minute because I do want to touch on what you guys talked about. Is you know One of the things that, that Neil is known for is that he really, really pushed the industry to advance as far as its printing process and as far as its use of colors and things like that. So you could see why he might be ahead of the game uh, with his own studio and how they were going to print it. And unfortunately, my thought process is the studio probably failed because in order to achieve that, he had to bump the prices up you know, to the point where uh, people probably were not buying enough of them to, to make it worthwhile when you compared the production costs to the, uh, you know, final uh, bottom line on it. So that probably came back to haunt him a little bit. So now, again, just to go into Neil Adams, the writer, a little bit. Neil Adams had, in my opinion, a great ability to tell a story. So that's that's kind of the first aspect of, of writing uh, that he, he clearly achieves he had a way of, of drawing the pictures where they would you know kind of do the storytelling in the pictures and he had a dynamism to the way that he would put the panels together and everything that very very few artists have ever achieved uh anywhere close to what he did in, in that regard so that is a you know a, a huge plus coming into it uh he also i think had a good feel for how to do epic stories. Uh, I think he probably was weaker in telling the more personal stories. I think that's where he would draw the pictures and he needed somebody else to do the dialoguing and maybe give him a little bit of a, a push, you know, as far as which way to, to bring the artwork to tell the story. I think that's probably his biggest weakness in this. And And when you talked about this being the superman slash batman origin kind of thing uh i hadn't considered that when i was reading it until you brought it up but i think what he needed to do was to give the character just some sort of more motivation uh to to push his body as hard as he did uh the whole lifting a cow thing is just kind of silly if you ask me you know eventually the cow's just going to become too bit too heavy to lift that's all there is to it uh but uh it, it was, a, it was a, a decent read, despite what I see as certain weaknesses in it. Uh, and and I would have, you know, I would have loved to, to just see this same story to be done with either a co-scripter, co-writer, or a, a strong editor. And I, I bet you would even have, have achieved a higher level. That said, I, I really enjoyed this. I, I thought this was a fun read, and it's an introduction to something I hadn't seen before. Uh, I, I always consider it a treat to to look at Neil Adams' artwork. That's that's really the bottom line. You know, I, I you know, I know you're Scott. You're you know mostly an, an art first guy, and I I've said that I'm I'm kind of like almost fifty fifty art and story. But when you have Neil Adams' artwork. 
uh, that tilts more towards the artwork for me. So you could have a story that's not as good, and I'm still going to enjoy it just as much just because of the artwork. Uh, there are a handful of artists that fit that mold, and, and he's certainly one of the one of the very few. Uh, so I, I enjoyed reading this and, and you know, overall, just just a, a good read. And then I'm just looking, you know, in the ads, the uh, classic continuity portfolios, limited supply, Neil Adams portfolio, Neil Adams portfolio, Neil Adams portfolio. <laughs> uh, you know, well, it's, I, go ahead. One of the other motivations for, for me bringing this was, you know, when we did our, our Neil Adams uh, tribute, you know, when he unfortunately passed away recently, this this occurred to me later after we did the show. And I felt really bad about that because I was like, man, you know, that that's a book I really should have at the very least. I should have kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um, so it, it had been on my mind. So it was it was kind of like, you know, one of those things where I, I try to remember things to, to cue them up for future episodes. But also, um you know, looking at this again and everything, it reminded me of something we had talked a, a while back about um, certain artists, how they were great in their day. But then, you know, when they get further along, you know, they, they age and their styles change and all that. And they're not, you know, they're not the same as they were. And uh neil i remember you know a lot of people kind of had that issue with him and and that's one of those things he would kind of grate on is when people would always reflect back on you know his old stuff but not talk about or not be as complimentary to the stuff he was doing concurrently i kind of found myself fall into that as well with the stuff that he was doing right toward the end of his life you know toward the end of his career but i would point at this as you know now, granted, it's it's not as recent as, you know, the 2000s, but this is still much later than the stuff he did, you know, with with Green Lantern and Batman and Brave and the Bold and all that sort of thing. And you look at this and you're like, man, the guy still got it. You know what I mean? I mean, he's I, I just think this is a beautiful book. I think the artist is fantastic. And I thought it was a really nice example of you know, a guy that, that hadn't lost a step at this point, you know, he was still producing really quality stuff, even though it was no longer, you know, for the big two type of thing. And I just, I, I found it kind of a shame that it didn't find an audience. And even today it seems to be kind of a, you know, an undiscovered gem, even though it's out there, you know, in, in 50 cent boxes all over the place to be found, you know, for cheap and, and discovered. Even though it's Neil Adams, it, it seems to have suffered a, a really sorry fate in that regard. And that, that's really a shame because, as I say, I can really only speak to this issue. I don't know where the series went. I don't know what happened to the character or whatever. I, so I can't tell you if, you know, it's worth getting, you know, invested in, you know, th this character or even continuity as a, as a whole. But this issue in particular... I think is definitely worth, you know, winding up in people's collections because it's it's just it's fun and it's it's just damn pretty. I mean, it's such a good looking uh, example of Neil Adams really bringing his A game to something, at least in my opinion. 
So I'm, I'm going to put up a little defense for later Neil Adams because I, I think I've done this before. So this isn't really any anything groundbreaking for people. But if you look at, you know, the later Neil Adams, uh, when he did that X-Men book that I talked about and when we did the Neil Adams uh, focus episode or when he did Batman Odyssey uh, or, or things, you know, later in his career that that people tended to blast. When I look at those books, if I look at them just at the artwork and I don't read the story, I don't think he really lost a step. I do think he was a victim a little bit of his own uh, ego in that he inked a lot of his own stuff when I think he would have been better off, you know, having Tom Palmer or somebody of that ilk ink him. Uh, But I, I still think the artwork really looks sharp in those books. And I think, you know, when you look at them, you can see the Neil Adams, you know, that uh, of old in, in the artwork. Uh, it's just a lot of them to me are a little bit more rough uh, because, you know, the inking isn't quite as, as, as tight as I would like it to be. Uh, but, but I, I mean, I see a lot of quality in, in, in the later Neil Adams artwork that, reflects a lot of what I saw in the early Neil Adams artwork. I, I Again, I, I think it, it may be to some extent that a lot of the stuff he did in the earlier years was more groundbreaking. Uh, and, and, you know, it was, it was as the comics industry was developing when he was doing Green Lantern or when he was on the Avengers or, or any of those things, you know, that he, that he did or Batman, like you said, I, I, you know, those, those were, very new to the industry. And then there were a lot of Neil Adams. Uh, I don't know. I can even say copycats, but devotees out there who were, who were, you know, influenced by him. Uh, so it wasn't quite as groundbreaking in his later career, but I still think it was uh, beautiful stuff. If you, if you look at it again, just for the artwork, maybe the stories didn't have quite the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, ability to, to move you the way his, you know, they did in the earlier years. Uh, but the the artwork, I still think it was gorgeous, and I have no problem with it. The last thing I picked up by Neil Adams uh, was uh, he did a Marvel Treasury uh, of the Fantastic Four, which, you know, it was a, a pricey book, but I picked it up just the same. And uh, I didn't care for the way he drew the, the thing in it, but otherwise I saw the Neil Adams and it was all really good. Uh, so I, I'm not I'm not so quick to get off the Neil Adams bandwagon just when he got older. I'm 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 still I'm still a, uh, a a Neil Adams mark. Let's put it that way. Well said. Yeah, I do see Neil Adams was ahead of the curve with not putting page numbers on the book either. <laughs> Who would have thought we'd wind up that way in every book now? Just one other thing I want to point out, then I'll shut up. If you look at... Oh, you know what, Dave? You know what? I'm I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think that must... I'm not... I'm looking at the physical book. I'm not looking at the scan at the moment. Does the scan not have page numbers? Uh, The scan has page numbers on a few of the pages, but not many. Okay, so that's a sizing issue or or an editing Uh, issue. Whoever scanned it, cut off page because they are they are there they're just not integrated into the art like a you know like a marvel or dc would do with the number like down in the corner type of thing it's actually like at the literally at the bottom of the printed page 
so that okay. it doesn't interfere with the art. Okay, and I do see that on a few of the pages, and so I guess it's a scanning issue, like you said. Well, then I retract my statement. <laughs> but uh, take a look at page nine, the general, in the second panel. Uh-huh. I looked at that and I went, oh, that's George W. Bush. Except yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have known who George <laughs> W. Bush was at that time. Right, exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I could see where you might think that. If if you were told this book came out in you know 2003, then then I would you know and you and we looked at that and you said hey that's George W I would be like oh yeah of course. Well, who was who was Reagan's VP in '85? George Bush Senior. Yeah, HW. Oh, I got oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he said W. That's right. Okay. I know you're right. You're right. But but I you know I like this book and I <laughs> and I like the uh, I really like the artwork in it. It was a great pick. Uh, oh, I, I am curious to see where it goes. I am too, and I I've got I think I have all of the Revengers, and I I ha- I think I have most of Megalith's solo titles. So th- this is. You know, for years, and I say I know I say this all the time on the show, but I mean I've got so many damn comics that I've just amassed and just have not made the time for. This is yet another one. Um, but in this example, this was one where I really was trying to get the line, or at least as much as the line as I cared about, because he um you know, not only was he part of the Revengers and he had his own solo stuff, but he also had crossovers into uh, other titles that were part of the continuity line. So I was just trying to, uh, you know, really amass the, the, you know, the complete or as complete as I wanted um, continuity line before really diving into it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely going to have to bump this one up on the reading order because looking at it again uh, now after all these years and having it hold up so well, uh, I am, you know, very curious where did this go and, you know, what was what was the ultimate fate of the character? If there even was an ultimate fate or was it one of those, you know, indies that just, you know, died a quiet death and you'll never really know type of thing. I, I hate when I, I'm not sure which one I would like better, you know, having a definitive end or having him just kind of, you know, fade away with no resolution. I, I'm kind of equally annoyed in, in either instance when that sort of thing happens. So, but I, I, I would like to know at least, you know, the stories that do exist out there and everything. So, um, are we ready for grades on this one? Ready when you are. All right. Well, cover on this one. It's a straight up a plus for me. I do think it's iconic. I think it's beautiful. Yes. It's Neil doing, you know, a riff on Neil's Superman, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with that because Neil's Superman is freaking awesome. So, uh, you know, I think this is great. And I think Megalith's costume is awesome. I really do. It's very simple. Um, it's, uh, you know, for me, it's kind of a combination of like uh, Arn Monroe, who, of course, would come along much later than this. Or, or would he? Would, did he exist? By, no, he about a year later, I think. Um, and then with the uh, with the big metal, whatever those are, they look like something a wrestler would wear or something, but it's, it's like, he's got like, 
I don't know if you'd call them bracelets necessarily, but he, he looks like a combo of like uh, Arn Monroe and like Luke Cage or something like that. I just think those were really cool. But I, lo- I just love his outfit. It's 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 just an awesome look, uh, awesome looking costume, I think. Um, which did kind of beg the question in the story, what's the deal? Because he seems to be fully formed as, as Megalith as this story starts, but we never really get an explanation for any of that. So again, that was one of the things I thought was kind of a shortcoming of the story is why, why does he have a code name? Why does he have a superhero costume? He doesn't seem like he really is a superhero yet. So is this supposed to be his, his uh you know weightlifting out uh, it, they just don't really explain any of that maybe it's all explained later i don't know but as an origin issue it's a little wonky in that regard um but anyway uh cover straight up a plus interior art um i'm gonna go a straight a i do think that it could have used a little bit of refinement i think whoever this inker is um is accountable for whatever um slight deficiencies i see in some of the art a couple of the the faces look a little bit odd um most of it is gorgeous i mean most of it i i I just absolutely love but there are a couple wonky faces and and some shading issues on just a couple of panels um just a couple things that don't quite look like 100 percent neil adams to me so i'm suspecting it's because somebody else was uh, you know, doing some some fill in work in here, you know, according to the credits and all that. But overall, I do think it's beautiful. There's so many panels in this that I really love. I especially like and, and yes, I know it's goofy, but I love the sequence where he gets shot in the abdomen and then just expels the bullets. I think that's I really do think that's cool. It's cheesy and it's so unrealistic if this guy is just a normal dude. But it's it's still just damn cool the way it's depicted by Adams. It, it's it's something you really just have to see. I can't describe it properly. It it just looks awesome. Um, and then the story, um, the story is good, and I I like his basic origins such as we get. But the overall story, I I. I think rushed is the best way to describe uh, describe the story because you don't get enough of a feel of wh- what's really going on here. And again, like I say, why why has he got a costume? Why has he got a code name? You know, none of that's really delved into. It just kind of throws you into this whole thing, and that's fine to be kind of thrown in um, in the right circumstance with the right story development, but this one doesn't quite do it that way. It kind of throws you in, in such a way that you're, I'm left more with the impression of it just wasn't as solidified as it needed to be, if you know what I mean. So on that level, I would say, I I think I would go, uh, uh, I don't know. C plus seems too low. I think I would go a B minus because otherwise I really do like it. I like the origin as cheesy as the whole calf lifting thing is. Eh, you know, it's comics. I, you know, I, I can buy it in this aspect. Is it realistic? Would it be a real world? No, I don't think so. I think it, I think in that as, you know, if you apply real world to it, then it, it's completely ridiculous, but it works in this. Um, and that was the big thing for me is this to me was a nice straddling between 
trying to be a little more, bit more realistic, a little more edgy because of the times. You know, this was 85 and comics were changing and they were growing up, yet still not being so serious that it couldn't be a little bit silly, too, and just plain fun. And I think I don't know if that was the intent or the approach, but if it was, it totally works for me because I, I like that. I like this nice blending of the two, a nice kind of serious tone, but not too serious that it can't be fun. And it at the end of the day, it is just damn fun. And it's so pretty to look at. So, yeah, I really like this book a lot. Um overall grade for this one i'm gonna go a, a straight up a because i i still think it's a great book i really do i just get so much fun reading this and i kind of kick myself that i haven't done a better job of of seeing where it goes from here because now i'm i'm intrigued anew all right i'm gonna jump on this one next and i like the cover i think the cover kind of says hey this is an origin issue or this is a first issue by me uh, and if you're a big enough fan of Neil Adams, it's going to jump out at you that it's Neil Adams. And I'm not sure what else to do with a character that no one is, you know, who's who's on the stands is going to actually know who it is offhand. Uh, but I think it, it's 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 eye catching. And if you're interested in checking out something new, and if the price tag doesn't uh, chase you away. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool cover, and I like that where it says collector's item issue, it's not giant across the page, because who gives a crap about that? <laughs> um, the interior art, what I find interesting about the interior art is I suspect that Neil had his studio assistants, whoever the, those up-and-coming people at the time were, do the inking on the book. And it looks to me like the inking is a little inconsistent. So for that reason, I'm thinking it's a many hands project with his various uh, interns and assistants and trainees or whatever you want to call them uh, doing the inking and some of them succeeding better than others. Uh, but throughout the book, even in the ones where I think it's inked in a way where I wouldn't it wouldn't be my preferred style, it's still you know, the Neil Adamsness of it still comes out on every page. So I'm kind of good with that. Uh, I don't think it's the top of the line Neil Adams, but I think it's good Neil Adams or, or it's very good Neil Adams because I don't think Neil Adams ever went below very good. Uh, so I'm going to say, you know, a B. It's a solid B. It's it's Neil Adams. Uh, the story. uh I think there are certain weaknesses to the story and the way that it's developed. I think he could have done better explaining certain things, but I think overall it's still compelling. So I'm going to say a C plus on the story and overall, I'm going to give the book a solid B. Um, this, I'm going to be consistent. For me, the story was, the story was the second best aspect of the book. I gave the story a B and the reason why was it wasn't completely outside the box. I mean, we've seen similar things to this before, but I found it compelling. It makes me want to read the next issue. And I I, kind of do hope there's uh, if I were to read more, fill in the gap between um his trip to the States and arriving at the parents' house because the costume, I would like to know where that came from. 
I find it compelling. The cover, I thought it was all right. Uh, to me, it's the weakest part of the book. I felt it was too dark. The art on the cover, I didn't think was as good as the art in the book. I gave the cover uh, C plus. The, the uh, interior art I, didn't, I loved. I thought it was fantastic. Though the opening with the punching of the wall, I kept waiting for Doomsday to come out. <laughs> Any I other? almost made a Doomsday reference in my synopsis, too. <laughs> I bit my tongue because I wanted to jump in there and disrupt your flow, but I, I held out. Um, other than George Bush, the other thing that I, I found a little amusing was when uh, the helicopter's coming after him. And, you know, clearly it's supposed to be German. Ach, dunk, ach, dunk. And then on the next play- page, the guy in the helicopter is, Joe, move the helicopter. <laughs> but but the, the, the odd is great. And uh, I gave the odd an A. So I would give an overall grade to the book of uh, Solid B. And I, I would like to read what comes next. Yeah, I think that's where we're all consistent and that all of us would be curious to see where this goes from here. All right, we, we did have three well, books picked we'll for today. Oops, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll revisit this with, uh, with other installments at some point. Yeah, I would be interested in doing that, and hopefully whoever's listening would be interested in hearing it, too. And uh, I was just going to say that we we were going to have three books today. We did pick three books. uh, But I think that if I did my book now, we'd be giving it short shrift. And I think there's a lot of things we we would want to say between us about it because there's some characters in there that are definitely worth talking about for, you know, more than just a quick cursory discussion. So I'm going to hold on to my book until next time or the next time that it fits whatever format we're doing for that particular episode. Uh, but, you know, this, this was fun, guys, and hopefully everybody enjoyed listening to it. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you anytime, everybody. man, anytime. And thank you, everybody, who is listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it that doesn't stop being funny? <laughs> <laughs>